want to thank this awesome worship team for leading, especially as uh, Robbie and Jordan and, well, almost 20 others from our church are away right now in Guatemala. We heard from them this morning. Uh, I think uh, they were more concerned about us than we were them. I don't think they thought that we could do it without them. And uh, <laughs> gotcha, we can. Um, but uh, we do uh, want to pray continually. I hope you've got on your list, your prayer list this week, uh, if you're part of our church, to pray for our team in Guatemala as they build homes. They've built uh, four, six, I think six homes already uh, since Thursday, which is amazing. Six families. Uh, and I've already had the opportunity. I won't spoil it, so they'll tell you when they come back. But to hear about some of the stories of these families and their people who literally had no home or were living in crowded in somebody else's home or under tarps, uh, and now they have homes, six families, because of our church and our giving and our going and our praying. So please continue to pray with them. Uh, They've got to build homes for uh, both uh, believers who are down there. They've got some opportunity to build homes for those who are not believers, and uh, we just need to pray for them as they serve and as they share the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, both with their words, sharing the gospel, but also just with life and uh, helping these families. Isn't that cool? to be a part of this week. So pray, and I believe that God answers prayers. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I believe God listens. I know that he does, and he responds to how we pray. And so just pray for that team this week. It's good for me to be back with you. I missed y'all last week. I was uh, away for majority of the week up in Canada with one of our missionaries who's about to be sent out again to one of the most uh, dark and unreached places and needy places of the world. For sake of recording, I won't name it, but many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, And we had a wonderful week, and I thank y'all for praying. And also, I got to take a longer weekend last week with my family, and it was just really good. Uh, But it's good to be back. It's really good to be back. I want to point your attention out to something in your chairs, and this is just a matter of business. Um, It has nothing to do with the sermon. But everybody get these little cards? You see them? They say, can you believe it? It says summer. 2016. How are we already talking about summer? But it's here, friends. Anybody enjoy the weekend? Come on. What were you doing inside studying? Get out. Um, come on, get out. Some, some of our students in the room are like, yeah, that's exactly where we were. I didn't mean to make it more miserable for you, Daniel. Sorry. Um, summer 2016. Anybody excited about summer? All right. See, y'all are, y'all are playing along now. This is great. Um, we love summer at Island Community Church. If you're new this morning, a special welcome. We're just glad you're here. We're a big family of faith in this community. We love summer at ICC, and it gives us an opportunity every summer to do some unique things that are just, you know, good for the season of summer. And these cards will help you see. I, I want you to take this, maybe put it on your refrigerator at home or on your work desk so you can remember what we've done is just kind of broke it down for you so you can understand all that's going on in the summer. You see our Sunday, Summer Sunday series, um, 10 life-changing questions that Jesus asked. I'm going to be starting that in a few weeks. Um, often we go to Jesus with questions, but one of Jesus' style of teaching and, and helping us know him is he asks questions of us. And we're going to be looking at 10 questions that Jesus asked of us. And it's going to be a really interesting uh, BuzzFeed-like study. Okay, So um, for those of you who are under 30 in the room, you probably get that. Um, uh, summer service. You'll see the opportunities there with our community partners. Also some special opportunities, community work days, uh, uptown block party in July. Just to get involved here in our local community, we have a, ch- a heart as our church here in this downtown area to serve the sick, the poor, the needy, 
the lost, the internationals of our community, and there are ways that you can plug in this summer with some of that extra time you have to help us do just that. On Wednesday nights, instead of normal small groups, we'll all be coming together for summer study. Who's thrilled about it? All right. Um, you, some of y'all are like, I don't know why this is all so exciting. Um, well, you, it's because you haven't been a part of it before. If you come this year, you'll, you'll get it. Um, it really is awesome. This summer... On Wednesday nights, we're combining our summer study and our summer fun. So on Wednesday nights, uh, for nine weeks throughout the summer, starting June 8th, there'll be an opportunity for you to come here. We'll have meals available for some of the coolest, hottest, greatest restaurants in town. You can buy those uh, each week if you'd like. Sign up for them on a weekly basis as we announce who's going to be serving and catering each week. And then we've got an awesome study this summer um, that's going to be designed to help you know how to spend more time, personal time, in the Bible to just give you practical tools to learn how to be a better student of the Bible and how to spend time in it on your own and apply it. And we're gonna be going through this study, Read the Bible for Life. It's written by Dr. George Guthrie out of Union University. He is awesome. And go Union. You guys are just participating in a great way in the back. Way to go, Daniel, Ethan, again. Um, out of Union, and it is used across the country. It is a wonderful resource. Dr. Guthrie himself will be kicking off our study on June the 8th. So I encourage you to come, be here, and invite others to be here. And then throughout the summer, after summer study, we're going to be doing some fun things. I think that first week we're doing team trivia around tables, and there's going to be prizes for winners. And I will be sitting at the winning table, so you can join mine. But um, summer's around the corner, and I do just want to encourage you all to get involved uh, in the life of our church in a greater way. We're so glad you're here. This morning, we continue our study in 1 John. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and get them open to the book of 1 John. We've, goodness, we've been, uh, this is our seventh week now. We've only got one more week together in 1 John. And I know collectively uh, that is hard to believe because um, it feels like we just kicked this series off. But it's been a wonderful study. I've heard again and again, I was sharing with our, our small group leaders on uh, Friday. I was sending out a note to them and just sharing how Many stories we have truly heard. Um, just this past week, I was sitting with um, women, sitting with men who have met with me or in different settings, and I've uh, been hearing really personal and specific stories about how God is strengthening faith and encouraging us and building us and purifying us together as a community of faith uh, through His Word and through our time together in small groups. And I'm really encouraged by that, always. Uh, I do pray that, you know. We really are desiring to live in relationship with God. And this is what this book is all about. John is a guy who um, was a real guy. He lived uh, with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And uh, if you read John's gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Um, he was close to Jesus, and Jesus was close to him. He knew what it was like. And I wonder if you know what it's like to really live with a personal relationship with Jesus. And I know that some of y'all might think, well, gosh, I wasn't alive then. How could I possibly know that? But you can know that. John wouldn't have written to us if it wasn't possible for us to know that. He says, look, you know, in verse 4, right at the very beginning of this book, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I've written these things that you uh, may have joy. Our joy may be complete and you having joy that you may have fellowship, he says in verse 3, fellowship with us in the Son, with the Father. In other words, he's saying, like, the whole point of your life is that you may grow and learn more of what it looks like to live daily in a relationship with God. Every single person in this room 
God knows you. He knows you because he created you. Before you were born, God was at work to bring you into life. And he has given you life with a purpose. And the purpose of your life is that you might know him and that you might love him and enjoy him and know his love for you. That is our life. Our life is to be lived in relationship with God. And John knew that. He knew it so well. He knew it in his moments of greatest failure. He knew it in his moments of greatest joy that all of life is found in this relationship with Jesus. And he writes that our joy might grow in knowing what it's like to live with Jesus day by day. Um, we've looked now at several of the big themes of the book. He, he writes, does um, anybody ever have doubts? We're going to talk about this more next week. Anybody ever have doubts? Yeah, it's a normal thing. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about assurance. It's one of John's key themes in this book. But over and over and over, he has been helping us to know as we've walked through this book and been reading it and studying it together, uh, how we can have assurance in our relationship with God. He's been helping us to know the things that are evident in our life when we are genuinely walking with God. One of the things that's evident, he helped us at the very beginning to know, is that we will walk closely with God. We'll have fellowship with the Father. In the way that Jesus walked, so also will we walk. We'll experience, in other words, purity in our life, increasing purity as, not that we work on our own, but as we recognize more and more how needy we are and receive his cleansing that comes to us as we confess our sin and draw near to his wonderful, never-ending grace. We also learn that we'll experience a real hunger and love for the things that are true. We will abide in his truth. We will love his word and we will submit ourselves to his word. He's also told us that as we experience life, that we will, this life with Jesus, that we will experience a really sincere and authentic love for other people. That you will begin to love people who you didn't expect to love before. He breaks down those kind of walls of judgmentalism and bitterness and kind of, uh, oh, you know all those yucky things that can keep you away from other people, especially other people who are not like you or who have done something against you. Our hearts begin to change. He says, oh, brothers, don't you know that if God is love, so also must we love one another. In fact, this is one of the key indicators that we are truly walking with God is when we experience his love through us toward others. John has been helping us to know uh, all about this life. And today, we're gonna be in 1 John uh, chapter five. If you've got your Bibles, that's where we're gonna be today. And the title of today's message is The Power to Overcome. The Power to Overcome. And actually, I was planning on teaching a little bit more than I'm actually going to teach this morning, and we'll pick up the rest uh, next week as we finish our series. But we're going to just look at the first five verses, if that's cool with you. Some of y'all are like, that's cool with me, because that sounds like we're getting out earlier. Not so sure about that part. Um, (laughs) But um, the theme of these verses are so important for our life, for your life. Some of you are already maybe interested in this word overcome, you know, sounds good. Um, In the scriptures, there are so many titles that God gives to us as God's children, as his church. Um, We are called 
uh, children of God. What are some other titles you can think of? We are called brides of Christ. What else? Some of y'all can't believe I'm asking for interaction. (laughs) We're called branches, right? On a vine. We're called living stones in his temple. Uh, We're called servants. We're called citizens, fellow citizens. We're called his beloved ones. We're called um, his followers. We are called brothers. We are called sisters. We are called the elect, the chosen ones of God. We are called those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, There are many, many titles that God gives us, helps us to understand more of our identity, the identity that he has given us in Christ. But today I want to point our attention to a title that sometimes, I don't know, maybe we overlook a bit. Um, It's one that honestly, I don't think of a whole lot day to day. And maybe you're in the same place too. We are given the title of an overcomer. In Christ, if you are in Christ today, the, one of the central aspects to your identity in Christ is the title that God gives you. He assigns to you is that you are one who overcomes. Nikau is the word in Greek. It literally means like one who is a conqueror. One who is a a victor. One who triumphs. Um, If you think about kind of the way we would talk today, um, we could go all Charlie Sheen and say, winning, (laughs) winning. Right? You know, it just, I mean, in, in modern language, it just means you're a winner. Everybody loves to hear that. You're like, yes, I am. Dude, I love coming to church this morning. You already told me what I knew. I'm a winner, yo. Um, <laughs> slow down, um, stallion. Um, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to get you too excited in your own self. Because all of this, of course, is rooted in Christ. He's not telling us who we are apart from Christ on our own. But he's saying, because of what Christ has done, because of the life of God in you, understand this, that you are one who overcomes. You are a winner. You are a victor. You are one who is triumphant. You are an overcomer. Um, The Greeks loved this word, and I promise we're about to get to the text, but just to set a little context, um, they really loved this. I mean, you, you guys who have studied history and know some of the Greek antiquities or um, just some of the outpourings of literature, poetry, you know how much they love battles, right? I mean, you have all this Greek literature about all these fights and histories between gods and goddesses and whatnot. They even have a goddess. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you picked up on it because I just told you the Greek name for overcome is Nikau. The goddess what? Nike. Anybody heard of Nike? I'll get to the shoes in a second. Right now I'm talking about the goddess. Um, But Nike. And she was one who was just triumphant in every way. She was um, a, 
a victor. I mean, she was goddess of victory in their minds. And in the Greek thought and literature, you'll realize that this idea of total victory, talking about one who is a, a conqueror, one who is triumphant in the ultimate, complete, final sense, they, it only belonged to the realm of gods and goddesses. I mean, a, a human might have a, a temporary moment of victory, but in the end, final, complete victory, Nikau, overcoming, only belonged to that elite class in their mind and in their teaching. Which makes it um, all the more surprising when um, you realize that the Bible, in the Greek language, they borrow the language that the Greeks use for that superior one who achieves the ultimate and final victory, the one who is unconquerable by any other. The same word is used and assigned to us, to you, to me, who are in Christ. It's crazy. The Greeks would have thought it's not possible for a human to be this kind of overcomer. It's just not possible. Nike, maybe, but not you. But the Bible says, oh no, you've thought about it all wrong. You've got it all wrong because in Christ, in fact, it is you. You are one who is an ultimate overcomer because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Um, We in the U.S., um, there's a whole project. It was called Project Nike back in the 40s. They built all these missiles. They're designed to be the ones who are unconquerable. Some of y'all wearing, anybody wearing Nike shoes today? Too bad. This stinks for the illustration. Um, the idea that, but the idea of Nike shoes, and I'm trying to connect these things to you because I want you to think about them in your daily life. The idea of Nike shoes was still that word from the Greek, essentially, and when you wear them, you're supposed to win, you know? It doesn't work for me, folks. Um, when you wear them, you're supposed to win. <laughs> and I've never, I've never been that good at running or, well, anything related to athletics <laughs> or outdoors. Um, but anyway, that's another story. But um, when you see Nike, I want you to remember Nikau. I want you to remember this word. And I want you to remember that the ultimate child belongs to Jesus and those who are in Christ. We are ultimate overcomers. Amen? That's us. So I want to look at this. It's similar to what Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. He says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. For I have, what? Overcome the world. In this world, friends, you will have many troubles. But don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give in. You are one who can have good cheer even in the midst of pain and sorrow. For I have overcome. I am ultimately the one who is triumphant in all things. By my life, death, and resurrection, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Paul echoes the same sentiment in Romans 8, and we're about to get to 1 John 5 because I just want you to see this is not an isolated teaching in the New Testament, but in Romans 8, verse 37, he says, in all of these things, after 
He has been talking about the present frustrations of this world and the futilities of the things that are present and suffering and sickness and pain and, oh, sorrows. And, I'm, and life is not all bad, all right? Some of y'all are in the middle of great times, but this world can be tough. And he says, even in the midst of this, in all of these things, Romans 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, in the end, we win. (laughs) Some of y'all aren't smiling big enough. We're winners. There is nothing in life that could come against you. If you are in a relationship with God, and John is about to pick up on this in chapter five, there is nothing in life that can separate you from the wonderful love that God has for you in Jesus. There is nothing that can separate the fellowship that you have with him and that he has with you. Therefore, in all of the things of this world that we go through, no matter what it is, there is nothing that can bring us down for he is our conqueror and in him we conquer too. We are ultimate victors in Christ. Now we come to 1 John chapter 5. And let's look at verses 1 through 5. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we are the, that we love the children of God when we love God And when we obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory. That has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Lord, we do pray that this word would speak to us, that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, that we would hear and that we would believe you, that we would turn towards you away from the futile idols of this world and turn toward you to receive all that you have to give. May we embrace the identity that you give us, Lord, and may we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the start of this text, you see some of those similar themes that John has been talking about, right? He talks about uh, the confession. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The importance of holding on to that abiding confession that we've already talked about together. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, he's talking... That theme of love. Remember, we've talked about that two weeks ago. That love that will permeate our lives as believers. That is so important as we draw near to God. He says, not only that, but uh, keep his commandments. Again, you, you 
in case you miss these themes, he just keeps coming back to them again and again, right? Keeping his commandments, the idea of faithfulness, walking with God, actually imitating him, staying close with him. That theme come back up again. Then he says in verse uh, three, it's kind of interesting. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. In other words, he's equating love for God with obedience to God. You can't say you love God if you don't obey God. And, you know, one thing leads to another thing. Um, And the interesting thing is it follows up with verse 3 with something interesting. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Um, In case you miss kind of what God is up to with this call to obedience. He's saying the call to obedience, the call to stay faithful to the commands of God, to the word of God, is not just some external conformity. Oh, bring myself on. Dang it. God wants this again. Got to do what God wants to do. You know, it's not kind of like some frustrated, like, you know, your, your husband or wife wakes you up for church and, seriously, babe, Again, so early, you know, it's, it's not that kind of obedience that God is after. He's after not external conformity, but internal delight in his ways, in his will, in his commands, with this call to submit to his word. He's after our hearts. For he says, for his commandments are not burdensome. You think about it? You think they're a burden? You believe following God's will and obeying God's laws are a burden to you? Oh, no, friends, you've misunderstood. For in relationship with God, his commandments are not burdensome, but they're light. They're joy-filled. They're delightful. He's echoing some of the other scriptures that we see. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh God, and your laws within my heart. Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. Verse 35, lead me in your paths of your commandments for I delight in them. Psalm 119, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight. In other words, there's this clear understanding that those who are truly in a relationship with God We'll see his ways. We'll see submission to his will, obedience to his word. Not as burdensome, but as our greatest joy. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in many places in my life, I, for some of y'all who know my story, I grew up in church and um, I did, I was in church week after week, much like you're here today. And my whole understanding of what it looked like to be a Christian and to be on the right side with God was just, was not right. Um, And when I heard teaching on the commands of God, when I heard the high moral ethic that Jesus set, even just the basic 10 commandments, for crying out loud, I couldn't keep them. Anybody struggle with the basic 10? I don't, I mean, murder. Well, I shouldn't have started with that one. 
That's a hard one to admit right off. Not lying, (laughs) honoring your father and mother, not coveting something that your neighbor, your friend has, remembering to keep the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, maintain margin in your life, to remember that you're not God, but God is God, and you can't do everything on your own, but you really need him desperately. (laughs) You know, these, even just the basic 10, I would hear and just be like, oh, gosh, you know, and I just saw religion as this heavy hand. And in our world today, many, many people view Christianity like that. Maybe you do. I don't know. Where you just see it as this heavy burden to be lifted, this obligation to be fulfilled. And it just seems, it just seems hard. Some of you hear this word, I delight to do my, your will, oh God. Even that seems hard, you know, for me to say to you, you shouldn't approach the word of God as a burden, but as a joy. As you hear God ask of you to submit yourself and to turn from sin and to walk in his ways, something in you goes, no, I don't feel delight in that. Well, that's why I'm glad the text doesn't stop here because he helps us to know, he's saying, the way we approach the commands are not by burden, but delight. How then? You've got to ask the question, how is this possible? And the next verse starts with the Greek word gar, which simply is a connecting word. It means that the sentence didn't stop there. He's going to help you see how it is that you should see his commandments are not burdensome, but light. He says, for everyone who has been born of God, what? What's the next one say? All right, I'm going to try to get everybody involved here. So let me just start again, and then everybody can just jump in, okay? For everyone who has been born of God, what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He connects understanding how God has designed us to live, seeing his commandments as delight with this important reality that we must be born again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How is it that this is possible? See, this this gets to the real heart of Christianity. It gets to the truest heart what God wants to do in our lives. God wants to give us a new nature. Our message, the Bible's message, is not that our behavior needs to be modified. It's not that we need to live by some new set of moral codes or that we could need to conform to some kind of external standard or do something on our own. That is not Christianity. Christianity. Some of us don't feel more desperate for God because we don't understand that the greatest problem in our lives is not our behavior, it's our hearts. And you are powerless to change your own heart apart from the sovereign, powerful work of God through the Holy Spirit afforded to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are powerless to change your nature from a nature that loves yourself and loves sin, loves this world, loves the crap that is not of God, your heart will chase those things until there is a sovereign, powerful, 
gracious work of God deep down in the core of who you are that changes your very disposition to become not lovers of self and sin and the world, but instead lovers, delighters, enjoyers of God. That is the beauty of the Christian message. That's the work that God's up to. It's like we say in our vision statement as a church, we are being transformed by Jesus. We are not about trying to tell you to go do something on your own apart from God. We are saying we have a God who works mightily, wonderfully, powerfully for those who yield their hearts to him. Amen? This is the beauty of the gospel. That we have a God who says, I love you. And while you have turned your back on me, I and my love for you have given my only son to live the life that you should have lived, that his obedience would be counted as your righteousness. To die the death that you deserve to die for your sins so that your sins could be forgiven and removed from you completely. And to rise again from the dead three days later so that by trusting in him, you may have his victorious power at work deep in your heart to get you back to the original creation, lovers of God as I want you to be. That, my friends is the gospel message. It has nothing to do with us or what we can do. It has all to do with God and what he has done and still can do. Amen? How do we find his commandments delightful? Oh, friends, we need a work of God deep down in our hearts for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You remember, um, I'll ask you to just look back, chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. John, remember, warned us early on in this book about the world. Y'all remember that? He warned us about the world. And he said it's a threat to our relationship with God. Much like eating at all-you-can-eat buffets would be a threat to you running the St. Jude Marathon, The world is a threat to our relationship with God. He says, do not love the world, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you remember in that study that we had together, he's talking about the world system that is designed, that is actively at work to pull you away from an intimate relationship with God. The system that is at work around you and even within you at times that is actively opposing you loving God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and loving others as he has loved you. It's actively at work convincing you to walk away from God. This is the same world that John is referring back to here in chapter 5. The main reason that we don't love God and we find it burdensome to yield ourselves to God 
It's because our heart craves things of this world. They can be good things like a relationship, if it's healthy. They can be bad things like a relationship, if it's unhealthy. They can be good things like a job that suddenly becomes all-consuming. Or they could be bad things like addiction. Um, we talked about it, so I'm not going to go back into it, but in those categories, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in life. They could be material, relational. Um, the key here is that... <laughs> When he talks about the world, he's talking about like idols. Things in your life that replace the satisfaction that you're only meant to find in God. And all of us have these struggles, don't we? I mean, if, if, I mean, God knows them. I know you know them too. If you had to take an inventory, like what are those things that in your life right now are actively at work competing trying to vie for first place instead of your relationship with God. Trying to convince you that there is a deeper happiness, a deeper satisfaction, a deeper joy if you just didn't submit to God, but rather chase this, then truly that would be the best. There lies um, convincing us that things in this world are better. Um, and the reality is... Um, This, almost every time, I'm just speaking, I'll just speak honestly here. Almost every time that you find yourself struggling to draw near to God or to submit to him or to delight in his word or to yield to his way, you will find something in the world that has convinced you that pursuing that thing is better than pursuing God. In the area of sexuality, for instance, you struggle in the area of sexuality, whether it be pornography, premarital sexual relationship, sexual fulfillment outside of marriage, all kinds of deviances. What you will find are people in those struggles, and if they're you, I'm not trying to make light of your struggle, but I am trying to help you understand it. That deep, deep down in the heart, somehow you have been convinced by this world, by the lies of this world, that finding that sexual fulfillment outside of God's intentions is somehow more satisfying in the end better than what God has ordained in giving us this beautiful gift of sex inside the context of covenant lifelong relationship between man and woman. There's a distortion. And so if you find it hard to buy into what God has put forward and is pleading for you and is protected for you and is graciously given you to walk into, maybe it's because over here you're buying in to the lies and the pullings of the world. And that's why you don't find submission to his law delightful. In the area of personal witness, you could 
find the same thing. Why is it that we struggle to talk to our friends about relationship with God? Many of us have family members. It is so, so hard. Why is it more hard to talk to our family about the Lord sometimes than it is a stranger in Guatemala? Y'all, y'all with me here? Could it be that maybe deep down we've bought into some of the lies of wanting to protect ourselves or not wanting to injure the relationship I'm not trying to say you should enter the relationship, but what I'm saying is somehow we've protected ourselves or trying to kind of uh, support our own reputation or not offend other people. Like we've put other things that are of this world more important than the vision and the will of God. I could go through a whole list of all kinds of things, but the reality is this world pulls against us, doesn't it? And tries to convince us that God is not the best. That his way is not, in the end, the most satisfying to you. That his presence is not as joy-filled as it was promised to be. But the reality is, friends, if you look back at chapter 5, verse 4. He says, everyone who has had this heart change in God has done what to the world? Come on now, overcome, right? He uses this word, Nikau, Nike. He is one who is unconquerable when it comes to the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He says, listen. If you have been born of God, there is something crazy that has happened in you that can only be explained by the work of God. Because of Jesus Christ and the fact that he lived, died, and rose again from you because of the cross of our Lord Jesus, there is a victory provided to you. Deep down now, you're not one who is constantly defeated by the world, but you are now one who has the power in Christ, in you, to overcome the world, to overcome sin, to overcome self, to overcome death, to overcome the consequences of the world, to overcome Satan, to overcome, you name it, God is at work in us to bring victory. And it's a present tense verb here in the Greek, which means that this victory is not just given at the moment you believe, but this is a victory that is given every single day that we live with Jesus Christ. His victory is as good today as it was on the day that it was won when he rose from the grave. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in you to mightily accomplish things that you could never accomplish on your own. Sin didn't have the final word for Jesus, did it? It rose, he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan didn't have the final word for Jesus. He rose from the dead and he conquered. Death did not have the final word from Jesus. He rose from the dead and he conquered. This broken world, though it was against him from the start, did not have the final word from Jesus. He rose from the dead and he conquered. How did he conquer? The power of God that is unconquerable worked mightily in Jesus to raise him from the dead and to put him in a position of triumph above all else, friends. And guess what? 
The same Jesus who rose from the dead is still alive today. And all power, that triumphant power, is still in his hands. And he reigns. And he reigns in you. And he works on your behalf. And you, because of Jesus in you, are one who shares in his victory. We are not defeated, friends. We are victors. He has changed us. We have a new identity And our identity is defined by winning. It's just the truth. How is it that we can overcome these temptations? Well, we can't, but God can. The final thing I want to encourage you to see in the text is there the end of verse four. And in the five, he says, this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, the power that's been afforded because of the work of Christ on our behalf, we put our faith in him, our trust in him. He shares his victory with us. We're born again to a new life, a new life of victory. But he connects this all-important aspect of our faith. The question of, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? That now there's nothing, there's nothing in your life that could separate you from the wonderful, all-powerful work of God and his love in Christ. Do you really believe that? That no matter what you face in this world, no matter how strong the temptation against you, no matter how frustrating the season that you're in or despairing the suffering that you go through, do you really believe that he has conquered And there's now nothing in this world that could conquer you because he has conquered the world. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Do you really believe that? And do you live like that every day? That's the question I was struggling with this week as I was working through the text and preparing for this message. Are we a people who are defined by this kind of lifestyle, by this kind of mentality? That truly, not only have we trusted Christ for salvation, but we trust Christ for victory. In our daily life, that we're trusting him. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Believing that Jesus is better Believing that he is superior. Believing that he is true. Believing that his ways are good. Believing that his promises are real. Like truly finding satisfaction in his presence. Like, do you really believe that? And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't just want you to answer in church talk. Everybody's here so everybody would answer, oh yeah, of course I do.
Okay? So tonight when you're alone in your house, how's that look? When you get gripped by anxiety, one of my worst tendencies is when I get gripped by anxiety, I become a micromanager. Is anybody like this? I take charge. If I fear something, then I try to conquer it on my own. But typically it manifests in really, a really bad tendency because it means I'm trying to take control of my own situation and do everything I can to make sure I can manipulate the right outcome because I'm in the inside just freaked out and scared to death. Anybody else that way? So in that moment, when that kind of tendency begins to rise up in me, where is my heart Am I walking further away from God or am I believing that Christ has got it all in his hands? That even though things on the outside might seem crazy and that I need to take charge, in reality, what I need to do is not take charge, but go to him and submit myself and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to help me. I can't do it, but I know that you can. Lord, would you give me peace that surpasses understanding? Right now, I'm freaking out. But God, I know that you reign. Is my heart one of faith? Do I delight in his invitation? Come, all you who are freaked out and troubled, come and find rest for your weary soul. Or does that seem to me in a moment like, oh, that's for losers and pansies? I don't have time to spend time with Jesus. Everything's collapsing around me. You see? In our daily life, this begins to work out in different ways. In the area of sexuality, I talk about this because it is such a big issue in our church and in our community. Where is your heart with these things? Do you recognize there's no temptation that you cannot overcome by the power of the Spirit? Do you recognize and believe that God's way are truly the best and the most wonderful for you? Even if in the moment it feels like you are saying no to something you really, your flesh really wants. In the end, God's ways are best for you. Do you say no to sin and temptation so that you can say yes to the surpassing riches, satisfying presence of fellowship with God? Is that where you are in the day to day? As we fight loneliness, greed, my goodness, there are people in this church, we have more earning potential perhaps than any other church in our city. And I don't just say that because of the size that we are today. I'm just saying that we have been entrusted with resources and our resources will likely only grow. How we use them will be determined by whether we're following the ways of this world or whether we're trusting in the power of Christ. The call to not be rich, but generous. How we respond to that call shows you a lot about where your heart really is. God is saying to us, I have overcome. And I have worked in you. Everyone who has been born of God has overcome with me. 
my power is available. My power is at work. My power in you. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. Where's the victory on the day-to-day basis that overcomes the world? It is our faith. Our willingness to turn to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, you're the one that I want. You're the one that I need. Jesus, your presence is the best for me. It's better than silver or gold. It's better than friends or family. It's better than reputation and success. It's better than health. It's better than whatever you struggle with that seems to pull your attention away from God. Oh, Jesus is far better. And he is an overcomer. And his victory, he works in you so that you can stay close to him. Don't we have a great God? We have a great God. We, through Christ, overcome. As the band comes, I want to just ask you uh, today to take some time to spend with God. It was about, it's hard to think about it now. About 15 years ago, I was telling the story to somebody last night that for so long in my life, I had gone to church week after week parents were faithfully and actively involved. And somehow I had missed the whole message, the whole beauty of a relationship with God. I had lived my whole life thinking that I needed to do something for God. Kind of frustrated every time, oh, here we are, got to do another religious thing, got to do another church thing. Here's another thing God wants me to obey. I just lived my whole life thinking that God wanted all the stuff from me. And I was frustrated because I never seemed to ever be good enough. I never, even though I tried, just always fell short. And in my heart, I knew my sin and my wickedness. And I was just disgusted with it all. It was about 15 years ago, three weeks from now, that I was at a camp in the College of Carson Newman over in East Tennessee. And I was drugged to camp. Uh, I was happy to be there because we did things in the afternoon that I liked, and there were some cute girls there. It's a typical middle schooler. <laughs> but some man, I don't even remember his name, he was teaching like I'm teaching right now. And he started talking about the fact that our life was not about church or religion, not about what we could do for God, but our life was really about what God has done for us. This wonderful work that God wants to do deep in our hearts and lives. And I sat there thinking, golly, everybody around me thinks I'm a Christian. I've been doing this church thing so long, I can't possibly admit that I really don't know what all this is about, but the Spirit of God overtook me. And all I felt deep down in my heart was, God, I don't have this relationship with you. I've heard it talked about for a long time, but I know I don't have it. All I know is my sin and my rebellion toward you. I don't want anything to do with you, but God, in in reality, I really want something to do with you. I just don't know how to make this right. I don't know what to do. And he talked to us that night about the fact that Jesus came for crooked, sinful people like me. 
Jesus came not with an invitation for us to do something to get right with God, but Jesus came because he wanted and needed to make us right with God. Not by what we could do, but by what God could do through him. Jesus came to live for sinners. He came to die to take on your sin. He went to the grave with it to put it away, to put away sin, death, and the enemy, to conquer this world. And he rose again from the dead three days later. And if I would put my trust in him, God would meet me where I was, would change me, give me a new heart, a new spirit, and I could live with him. And I made a decision that night. It overtook me. I didn't even know I was really making the decision, but suddenly I found in my heart a desire to live my life with God. My life has never been the same since. God changed me that night and put in me a love for God that I had never had before. I had only known religion. I had never known relationship. It was the best night of my life. Some of you today might be in a similar place where we've been t- you feel that his commandments are burdensome, that this religion thing is just such a dread. But you've heard the word of God today that says it's not about the burden, it's about the delight. And the reason it's a delight is that God wants to work in a way that you cannot work for yourself. He wants to put a new heart within you. He loves you. He gave himself for you. And he is powerful. He is a conqueror. He is a triumphant one. And he has the power to change deep within you what you cannot change yourself. If that's you today, friend, I would just ask you to call out to Jesus. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That we can be born again of God. Call out to Jesus. Ask him to be your savior and your Lord. Trust him for forgiveness. Receive from him the gift of new life. You can do that today if God is working in your life. For others who've already made that decision, what I would ask you is, will you just take a second right now to thank God that he is a God of victory? The goddess Nike is no God at all. Our God is a living God. Right now he reigns and he is a God of victory. There is no one who has power that can match his and he has worked his victory on behalf of all who believe. Will you just take a second and say, God, thank you. Thank you for conquering. Thank you that in the moment of my weakness, you showed your strength. Thank you that right now at this moment, you sit on the eternal throne and everything is in your hands. Will you just say thank you to God for working his victory on your behalf through his life, death, and resurrection? And will you ask God that you could apply the victory that he's afforded as you trust him by faith? In the area of your greatest struggle, are you willing today to say, Lord Jesus, I give you this struggle. I give it to you. I've been fighting it. I've been wrestling it. I've been giving myself to the world in this way. But Lord, I don't know why, because you have the victory over it. And today I refuse to keep going after the way of the world because I am a conqueror through what you have done in Jesus Christ. This is the victory. Everyone who is born of God can experience This is the victory. It overcomes the world, our faith. Are you willing today to turn from sin and to trust Jesus and to live every day with the victory that he supplies?
Spend time with God. Let's stand. I'm here if you need me. If you wanna make a decision for Christ, pray, join our church. But right now, every heart, every heart responding to God, every heart responding to God, thanking God, praying to God, asking of God, submitting to God.